This is the best intro for any podcast I've ever listened to. You listen to other podcasts? Yes. This isn't a, an exclusive experience? Okay, this it? isn't... I'm not listening to a podcast right now, John. I'm on a podcast. But you, <laughs> but you don't only listen to my podcast with have a single even, episode. Have you out. even released the first... Oh, so you have released a single one. A single one from last okay. year. Uh, season Zero is what it's called. So, no, I have not listened to that You didn't yet. even listen to it? Not yet. No. How did you agree to come I on could, something you haven't listened I to? I never was able to find it on Spotify. What do you mean? Well, it's I'm sorry, I just tried. rambling with John Robinson, <laughs> and that's where we're at today, folks. I'm here with a gentleman and a scholar, Nathaniel Tapia? Tapia. 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 That's my bad. I don't even know who I you forgive are. you this time. Nathaniel Tapia. Um, we're here. He's a... Uh, as you all know, I go to GCU, and he's actually one of my residents in my all this year. It's been a great opportunity to get to further our friendship, which started with him waving at me randomly <laughs> last year, and I said, I don't like that guy. <laughs> I still think that's funny that that's what your initial thoughts that, on me were. That's the only thing I remember. I said, that guy's weird. I don't want to be anywhere near him. I mean, and I am God weird. God put you in my life. So. <laughs> God's like, ah, sucks to you, be you. But then it didn't suck to be you, because well, now we're friends, kind of, a little bit, maybe. If we script real hard and don't think of other interactions <laughs> in the broader context. Um, <laughs> Why are you even on this podcast? <laughs> You're the one. <laughs> Never mind. You're fine. Exactly. Um, but yes, this is Nathaniel. I'm really excited to go over some topics with him today. Uh, so we're just going to go right into it. And I wanted to talk to you about movies to begin with. I hate movies. Why are we talking about them? Yeah, I hate them too. <laughs> Next topic. Let's <laughs> Nathaniel here is one of my favorite people to discuss movies with uh, because he's so opinionated and just very, a little. very um <laughs> he dives deep he's not the kind oh, of person yeah. to leave it at the surface and go hey yeah it was a good movie uh, he's the guy that digs miles and miles down well, i mean filmmaking it's not fun anymore <laughs> hey filmmaking <laughs> is a visual medium yes i'm gonna look at the score and the cinematography and the sound mixing and everything that makes up a movie exactly <laughs> uh but here i wanted to first ask you about your scale your rating system Ooh. um because i know you grade films a lot harder than most people and i wanted to you to just kind of put out to the world what it is how you decide um, and some examples of, like, where movies fall. Okay. Um, so I grade uh, movies on a scale of 1 to 10, and... Um, Very elementary. Well, I mean, it's just... <laughs> I, with with leather grades, there's just... There's too few... I mean, too few. I mean, the opposite. There are too many options. Mm -hmm. um, and with just the regular 1 to 5 stars, there are too few options. Right. Um, 1 through 10 uh, gives me a nice wide variety. and But I don't do it, like, if you get a 5 out of 10 in, like, an American spelling test... You get an F. Whereas if a, and like, I guess let's get into the explanation. So if every movie for me starts with a five out of ten, and a five out of ten for me is an average score. Um, an average movie would say be like, I mean, I hate to start the controversy right away. The movie like <laughs> Black Panther or Raiders of the Lost Ark are not films that I find bad. Oof. I just find them excessively average. Okay. Um, the other film, the, there's only one of the films, one of the kind of film that can get on to a five out of ten score. That's like a lame as a rob. That is just such a mixed bag. It mm -hmm. has things I really like and really hate. And then it winds up just finding its way back to the middle. Um, so anything below a five, I dislike. A four out of ten is the easiest, <laughs> lightest score I give a film I don't like. Because I just kind of to be kind of above, a, a, below average and just kind of mediocre. Um, and a three or below, I don't watch them again. Um, mm -hmm. A three is a watchably bad movie, um, but I'm still not going to go out of my way to ever check it out again. 
um, and don't be the movie that's a two or a one. That's just it's just bad. Is don't. a two or a one like a train wreck movie or a movie you absolutely like? Not not only dislike but you hate, um, like you hold disdain for. Most of the time, yeah. If a movie gets down to that, where a disdain, where I just can't watch it anymore, and like it, it makes me viscerally irritated. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, it, if a film doesn't make me that angry, it'll probably stay the three because you know that's at least a competently bad film that you know had like a plot and lighting and you know yeah. wasn't just a complete monstrosity. Um, now anything above a five, I do like. And ironically, <laughs> I think it's these scores and higher that I get sometimes into arguments more of for. Because certain mm. movies I'll rate, like, above average, just like a 6 out of 10, I'm like, they're fine. They're decent, you know. They had some cool things in right. them, but people really love. That's where 6 out of 10s are where a lot of Marvel movies, for me, tend to fall into. I think um, that's fair. And um, a 7 is a solid film. It's a movie I'd recommend, but I wouldn't necessarily consider great. Um, and an 8 out of 10 or higher is, uh, anything above that is great, in my view. Mm -hmm. um, I've rated only about maybe 121 movies, out of the 340 I've seen, and 8 or above. Um, and the reason why that's even so high is because I don't go out of my way to watch, like, terrible films. Right. Like, I haven't watched Battlefield Earth or Howard the Duck, and I don't really have any plans to. <laughs> well, nobody goes around <laughs> saying, this movie sucked, you should watch it. Yeah, unless it's, it's like The Room or Birdemic, in which case I do plan on watching those. Oh, Something so bad they're funny. More controversy. Uh, you do not, do not agree with the concept of so bad it's good? Well, not necessarily. I think some movies are... I think it, it goes deeper than that. Some movies are so bad... Mm -hmm that the people you watch them with makes it good. Um, I watched uh, The Room, and <laughs> it was not a fun experience, but it was because of the people I was with that made it bearable, but there was still the majority of the film that I had to leave The Room during because I, I was just m massively uncomfortable. Honestly, I feel that way, not necessarily about um, super bad films like that, but about... Um, comedies like Step Brothers or The Campaign. I've um, seen neither. Um, I just step. I I literally go nowhere near those. Yeah, no, films. I don't go near them by myself. Um, films like those and Talladega Nights, I'll only watch mm -hmm. with other people because of the way I like to watch movies, where I like to dissect them afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I have given I think all three of those a five out of ten on my IMDb. But I did watch those with people, so I can't help but wonder if I were to like sit down and watch them by myself. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that they'd all like lose a point or two because they're you know um, there there are films that are good by yourself and then there are films that are really only good as like an experience yeah I would say a lot of five of the ten films for me are like that that in a in a group setting they're a lot of fun mm -hmm. but by myself when I'm being my pretentious film goer that I am um, <laughs> they're not quite as fun yeah so what are some of your your eights and ups Maybe some old ones, some recent ones. Some old ones, some recent ones. Let's see. Um, the most recent film I gave an eight was actually the most recent film I saw in theaters. Uh, it was Adam McKay's Vice. Okay. Um, and it's funny that we brought up Step Brothers and stuff beforehand because he's the one who directed films like that. Not and really. he's gone. He his career has taken an interesting turn. He directed Big Short a couple years back, mm -hmm. which I still haven't seen. That's um, like a comedy sort of thing yeah. based upon like 2008 financial crisis. And then Vice is a, a comedy biographical drama thing that um on Dick Cheney, the vice president of George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. And um, some of those movies that like, got mixed reception, but like I totally get why it did. Because it was a very weird, very different sort of film. Yeah. Um and I just personally really loved it. I'm a I'm you know, I'm big into politics and I love weird editing. Um and I love, you know, actors that are able to just lose themselves in their role. And that's that's one of the best things about the film is that 
has big name noticeable stars like Steve Carell and Amy Adams. I forget that they're there mm-hmm. because they're able to just get into it so well. And um, that was definitely that was the best film I've I've seen in theaters. Um, oh, based upon the last few films I saw in theaters, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Another good eight film uh, that kind of surprised me. I rewatched *Lady and the Tramp*. It's uh, the animated nineteen fifty five film. Yeah. Um, and I was pleasantly, you know, because I watched *Pinocchio* right beforehand, and I very generously gave that film a six. Yeah. Um, it did not hold up incredibly well. It was very odd. Um, not incredibly well structured. But *Lady and the Tramp* um, is actually really interesting in that it's really the film is largely from a dog's perspective, and I mean that based upon how the dog like interprets. Like, he, she thinks her owner's names are actually um, Darling and Jim Deer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting and really awesome. And they're able to, to play with that really well. Yeah. Uh, plus, just a beautiful animation, a really great score. Um, it's one of those... It's one of the quieter Disney films that I kind of wish would get more attention, almost. I mean, it's popular. It's, you know, it's on Disney's, you know, Walt Disney's signature collection. And not every film in their animated canyon gets that treatment. Yeah. Um... But, but it's not, uh, like, Cinderella Yeah, it's not, you know, people will talk about The Lion King more, and I'll be frank, I think Lady and the Tramp is a much better <laughs> structure than written film than The Lion King is. Mm-hmm. Heck, even Aladdin, honestly. Um, I don't care for it, Aladdin. Um, I'm not excited for the remake. I need anyway. to rewatch the animated film Aladdin, because I remember liking it a lot, but it's been a long time, mm-hmm. and it's been... I, the last time I saw it was before I became a pretentious film goer, so I need to rewatch <laughs> it and rejudge it. Um, but like you, I am not only not excited for the live-action remake... I freaking hate <laughs> the live-action remake extravaganza Disney's been doing. Mm. I'm a big animation fan, and I really don't like this tendency of, well, it's more adult and family-oriented because we're making a lot... No, you're just making it worse. <laughs> so do you feel that way about The Lion King then as well? Um, the, the one coming out? So probably. I, I'll admit, I, I don't have great love for The Lion King. This has been a big source of controversy over the years with friends and family. Yeah. Um, I would like to rewatch it, if only just because I'm curious. Perhaps my mind will be changed. Um, mm-hmm. I am curious to see the live-action one a little bit more for two reasons. Uh, one, for the same reason I saw a Jungle Book, in the sense of I want to see how good technology is getting. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I don't like that they're calling it live-action, because it's not live-action. No. It's CGI. It's, just, um, it's really <laughs> it's, good yeah. CGI. Um, and I want to see, you know, I'm... I'm all for, uh, you know, people being able to do more with our technology and being able to take us to more realistic-looking worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see how it is. Plus, I really, really like the voice cast a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of most of the people. I'm not going to try to pronounce Scar's voice actor's name because I'm, I'm sure I'll butcher it and it'll be insulting and terrible, but I love him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he was great in 2012 in The Martian and 12 Years a Slave and Children of Men, and he's done a lot of really great work. Um, and I'm really excited. Yeah, no, I agree. I think... Or, well, I'm excited to see them work. I'm less excited because <laughs> I'm not sure how good the movie... Especially since they're freaking getting rid of Be Prepared, which is the best song in The Lion King. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that's... I hope maybe they reverse their decision, but last time I heard mm-hmm. they're gonna... You know, why would you cut such a fantastic, wonderful... You better be replacing it with, like, a fantastic song. Like, I don't mind, you know, remakes to have updates to give. Like, a, one classic Disney remake that I wonder if people even remember anymore was, um, what was it called? Freaky Friday. Yeah. Um, they had a Freaky Friday in the 50s, and then they had one in, like, 2003. And that made sense, because the role of women in society has changed a lot since the 1950s. Right. There was a lot, there were different things you could do with the story. It wasn't just going to be the same exact thing as the last time. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's kind of what seems to be happening with a lot of the, um, a lot of the new live-action remakes. They seem to just be 
the same exact thing, but live action and worse. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I'm looking forward to it, uh, kind of in the sense you said for to the technology. I remember when the Jungle Book came out. Um, to be quite frank, I thought it was amazing looking and I thought it was fun, but it was a day I was tired and I fell asleep. And when a movie doesn't keep me captivated enough to keep me awake, um, I consider that a flaw. No, um, I, I would absolutely agree with and, that. Because I've been tired in movie theaters before and stayed awake just because I, I can't. But there was nothing in the movie that kept me like, I have to know, um, minus its visuals. Um, I'm looking forward to this because I did love The Lion King growing up. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, I'm a big Shakespeare fan, so obviously those connections were appealing to me. But I am nervous because uh, I hope they, they do change something. I don't want it to be an exact, just reshot with like the same dialogue. Yeah. Um, I think that would be almost insulting. I believe, I don't know, I, I actually don't know if this is a joke or, or like a troll or not, but I saw online that the reason they're doing this is because Walt Disney put in his will that uh, his animated films would be remade every so often so that each generation had access to uh, the same kind of story but from a different perspective. And if that's true, I can appreciate that. But yeah, I hope I, they actually throw a new perspective yeah, into it. Yeah, and not just um, remake it to make cash money. Right, which um, is something I think... Which I just, I don't really Disney's trust... Yeah, I don't trust the Disney company at this point to um, to make things <laughs> right. for reasons that are far beyond cash money. And um, I'm not aware of that in Walt's will. Um, I'm pretty, you know, I'm not an expert on Walt Disney, but I've didn't research on the man and i haven't heard of that before so mm -hmm. i'll look into that i'm definitely you know i'm just a bumbling 20 year old college student i'm sure there are plenty of things <laughs> that i don't know and uh, that absolutely could still pass the radar um for sure but i'd be it would both that like that wouldn't surprise me because walt is somebody who really cared about stories yeah but the thing that makes me suspicious of that sentiment is that <clears throat> he didn't like to do the same things twice Mm -hmm. um, Walt Disney World was not meant to be just another Disneyland. That was actually meant to be like an actual city and an actual town. Um, and then he died in 1966, and the company was like, yeah, maybe not. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it was just another Disneyland. Um, so I'm not sure. I could really see, depending on you know the validity of that statement, it would both... I'd both be surprised, yet I also wouldn't be surprised at the same right. time. It would, you know, there are, there are things about the man that I know that would point to him wanting to do something like that, that there are things that would make me go like, I'm pretty sure he would never really want to do that. Um, yeah. So I guess it really all depends on how he was, you know, really feeling that day when he wrote his will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> then they say he tries to take it out, but he died. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree. I think that whatever happens, it'll be worth me going, to say the least. But uh, who knows if this will either make or break my next experience yeah. with a live action. I'm not sure if I'm going to go see The Lion King in theaters. I might. I'm definitely not seeing Aladdin in theaters. I'm definitely not right. seeing Aladdin, period. Um, <laughs> I'll be frank. I don't yeah, think I'll ever... You know, agree. we have, what, 80 years is the average human lifespan? I'm not going to spend a second of it watching the new <laughs> Aladdin remake with the weird Will Smith as the genie that looked uncomfortable and strange. Like, they look like bad Halloween costumes. Mm -hmm. Like, genuinely very bad Halloween costumes. And, um... But, um... They're also remaking Lady and the Tramp in live action. Are they really? Yeah, I, they're going to be releasing it on their new Disney Plus streaming service. Ah. Um, which, that's killed the Disney Vault forever, since they're going to have their whole library on there. I heard uh, <coughs> people speculating that the Vault will be kind of like a premium for the service. Ooh. You know, where you can spend, like, 
If you oh. if you want access to the vault, it's like an extra five bucks a month. Oh, that's evil, but really good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> cash money, <laughs> cash money, bringing it back. To I Disney. mean, if I was still a kid, I'd freaking beg my parents to. If I was still the giant. I mean, I'm still a giant nerd for Disney, but like. There are lots of other things vying for my attention and money, whereas Disney right. is no longer the, the highest priority like it was when I was a kid. I think um, the smartest thing for them to do would to have like a base service mm-hmm. of maybe you know you could probably they could knowing Disney they could probably actually do it for eight bucks a month with how many people are gonna, oh yeah no. you know purchase um, they could do it for free honestly they, could, they wouldn't right. need to make it cost anything and maybe <laughs> and that just happens that goes like all the DVDs you know, are on there, like, all the classic movies that are, like, popular. And then, say, we'll do, like, an extra, you know, 99 cents if you want access to the Disney shows that are currently being broadcasted on cable. An extra 99 cents if you want Disney Channel original movie access. An extra blah, blah, blah for The Vault. Um, And I think that would be smart, because I know... I don't want it to be a thing where it's, like, an extra 10 bucks and you have access to everything and there's no in-between, because I honestly don't personally care that much about the vault but if i were to which i'm not gonna yeah. pay for this um if they said it's like an extra for this amount i would say okay i would like to watch some of the disney channel original movies again <laughs> some of them it's like a very guilty pleasure uh, no mine, no i totally i honestly i totally understand that was like your thing growing up is you you would watch it yeah the big the, it would be an event it would be you know the be, big i've been new... waiting it's been broadcasted like in commercials like this is happening on yeah march Thirteen at seven at seven six central or something. Right on Disney Channel. Do 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 do, and then they do the little thing. With please the, don't sue us, Disney. Yes, <laughs> please don't. We but we tolerate I, you. I do that. But, but. However, <laughs> uh, Disney does own rights to Marvel and Star Wars. Yep. So if that's on the service, the new Star Wars: The Clone Wars season is going to be on the Disney Plus service. Right. Which makes me angry because I'm going to probably do the free trial for it just to. Oh, I most certainly. <laughs> just am. so I can exploit that for a few days. Um, Our good that. friend Kyle um, just saw the trailer for the season yesterday. He had no idea it was Wait, even a thing. What? Oh, oh, like the old one back. That yeah, yeah, like, from oh, months okay. ago. There's no. I new. was like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute, John. We're going to pause this. <laughs> he, he had go no watch. idea. Um, and I was super excited only to find out that he actually never watched past season three. <laughs> I know. And season so, three? Oh my gosh, she's a lot to need to catch up on. I think, uh, as a side tangent, there are other things I wanted to ask you, but as a side tangent, I think Star Wars The Clone Wars is some of the best Star Wars content that I think, has ever been made. I think except for The Empire Strikes Back and maybe Return of the Jedi, it is the best Star Wars content that's ever been made. It's, it far <laughs> surpasses Solo, and that's where I'm leaving this conversation. <laughs> Um, so back to the original topic, your scores. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's where this ta- this started. I mentioned Lady in the Trap. Do you all have any tens? Tens? Um, yes. I think like maybe about nine or ten. Um, Can you give us an example? Uh, my, well, my favorite film of all time is Spirit of the Way, and that's a film I give the perfect score. Mm, um, Whiplash, The Twelve Angry Men, The Truman Show, um, Kiki's Delivery Service, oh, another one. Saw that a lot right now. Um, one movie um, I rewatched and lowered it from a ten to a nine um, oh, because boy. I did. Drum roll, please. It hurts me to say this because I love it so much. It was the Lego Movie. Oh um, wow! There was something. Okay. The one, it's a nitpick, but it is kind of. I can forgive nitpicks more when they're not consequential to the plot, mm-hmm. but because it was a little bit, this was an important part of the story, and that the the people of the regular city. Where Emmett was from in the film, um, mm-hmm. being and spoilers, um, being able to master build so quickly near the end, 
Um, That was a little bit too... That was a little bit too kids movie convenience for me in a film that was able to avoid that pretty well. Yeah, Um, that's completely fair. So, and are you saying, man, is it just one little flaw that'll keep it from being a 10? Yes. Yes, it is. I'm very... (laughs) I like to... I don't like to hand out my 10s like, uh, you know, little candies. Like, Citizen Kane misses out on a 10 of 10 because the opening of the film doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, in that the whole film was predicated on everybody hearing his last word of Rosebud. But he whispered that, um, and there was nobody in the room. Mm. So that's a huge, like, that's just a, an enormous plot hole. I can forgive, like, for instance, in the first Star Wars film, where, you know, it's kind of a plot hole that, you know, they can shoot into the one little opening and then it blows up a Death Star. Yeah, it's kind of dumb a little bit, but I can forgive it. Because, you know, it's, it's a fun science fiction adventure story, you know, and machines, like, you know, machines have weird flaws all the time. Right, That's and just, Rogue One added on to it I mean, to yeah, make more sense. Yeah, but it didn't. It wasn't necessary. It, it wasn't that big of a deal, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, because the whole story wasn't ruined because of that. It, yeah. it, it, all of it was going to happen regardless. Um, and um, in the end, what that little you know having that little exhaust port did was make the goal more specific instead of just having them bomb the Death Star enough to make it blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Citizen Kane, the, the the big problem of the movie, the whole film, doesn't really make any sense if you actually think about it. Luckily, yeah. the film is magnificent and majestic otherwise, which is why it gets like a 9.8 if I were to add decimals mm-hmm. <laughs> to my to my scores. But I don't like decimals, so I just give it a 9. <laughs> so out of your favorites, I suppose, or or any of them, I guess... Is there one that you want to rewatch at least like once a year? That's interesting. Um, it probably, I mean, aside from my favorite film, Spirit of the Way, mm-hmm. um, the film that I love the most, I found the most rewatchability was actually Whiplash. I've seen mm-hmm. that film one, two, three, like four or five times by now, okay. and based upon the amount of time that I have in my, I've had in my days the last few years. Um, Based on how many films I really love and would love to rewatch like that, that's a lot. Yeah. That's probably the most of all of them. Usually it's about two or three for most everything else yeah. if I've rewatched them. And there's a few that I still like. I want to rewatch Casablanca. I want to rewatch V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to rewatch uh, My Neighbor Toe the Row. There's, there's a few different films that I need to see again. Um, that, um, It's Such a Beautiful Day, is like a 63 minute film. And because of that, I've also seen that a few times more yeah. than the rest um, because it just it's taken up less time. Um, yeah. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington I've seen a few times um, yeah those are probably the big ones that I watch oh <laughs> this isn't um, in, my ob- in my objective scoring this is like a 5 or a 4 in my personal enjoyment scoring this is like a 9 um, 2012 I have embarrassingly watched like probably 8 times <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> in my life that's my biggest guilty pleasure film I, okay. I know it's dumb and it's just a silly typical family from a disaster movie and some of the films don't make any sense. I, I, don't, I don't care. I love it so much. Okay. Uh, there's a special place in my heart. For, like, I still want to see Geostorm. Like, it's going to be awful, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure it's going to suck. But, um... <laughs> I was actually going to ask you, um, out of your rankings, were there any guilty pleasures? Because I know we watched uh, yes. Book of Eli. The Book of Eli, and um, that is a film I consider probably other than 2012 to be my quintessential guilty pleasure um <laughs> it was it was fine okay here's the deal. it was fun <laughs> it was very fun it's just there, there were a lot of sequences. there were a lot of dumb cheeseball moments i think the reason why i could forgive the film a lot more than i might forgive other films is because i went into it assuming that because of what the premise of the film is um for spoilers for those of you who don't know the premise of the film is that 
these, you know, these different characters are looking for a Bible. Um, and somehow, the most published, most wildly available book in the history of the planet, um, there's only one of them left <laughs> in the entirety of the continental United States in any form. Um, and that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in all of my life. <laughs> like, I get that with movies, there needs to be a suspension of disbelief. My favorite film is Freckin' Speared in the Way, for crying out loud. Right. But the Book of Eli, at least, in some way, pretends to be, like, realistic, it, in it, a sense. It, it blends realism um, with hyper-unrealism. I mean, yeah, with the action scenes and stuff. When it comes to, like, the actual story and that they're trying, you know... Gary Oldman's character is trying to, like, exploit people and make a community based upon the power he knows the book has. Very clearly is, you know, is not as magical as a film. Like, if it was done in, like, a movie, like, say, with the with the spirit and and um, genre um, of Spirit of the Way or something like that, or something yeah. like an Alice in Wonderland, I can forgive that a lot more than something that's fairly clearly trying to be, like, gritty and cool and awesome. Um, and just to have a, a premise that's so stupid... And unbelievable and ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but because of that, I went into it assuming that, and I had so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was dumb. So much of the film, like, it, it looked got like garbage sometimes. There were things that just, it was, the whole twist at the end, it made sense for the one character, mm -hmm. um, the Gary Oldman's wife. I still don't buy it with Denzel Washington's character 100. <laughs> like, no, no, just no. I just, <laughs> I refuse to believe that based upon the things that I was seeing. And the whole sequence with the old lady and old man that was, like, straight oh, into, like, a Looney Tunes comedy. It, it was, was very funny. <laughs> it was, like, it was hysterically funny, but it, it was so out of place. Right. <laughs> with the movie up to that point. Uh, with, you know, the Marauders just murdering innocent people, you know, going through their stuff and taking their books. You know, uh, <laughs> it just didn't fit. Um, and, um, but no, the Book of Eli, I'm definitely, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it on DVD <laughs> and watch it again. <laughs> that That's was great. great. Four out of ten, but, like, the best kind of four out of ten. Yeah. That's that's funny, and I think for like people listening, especially, um, the first time you, or not even the first time, but there's always a part of me, it makes sense, but it's like I have to think about it that there's like a four out of ten movie that you still really like. Yeah. Um, and I think that just goes down to that Nathaniel and I have the great privilege of getting to see so many films that we are able to to dive deeper. Um, yeah. I, I personally, I think just getting a little bit meta, um, I love watching films and I love critiquing them and I love discussing them, but something I hate is when somebody does that and then they hate on somebody for enjoying one of those films yeah. and having it be one of their tens. Because one, not everybody cares. Yeah, <laughs> Some exactly. people are just like, I watch a movie to relax. No, I, I um, fully understand that. I full, I'm self, if you're going to be like me, be self-aware. Yes. Because I acknowledge I'm pretentious in how I watch movies. <laughs> I know it doesn't matter in the end. Who cares? That's just how I watch them. If you, I might joke with you about it, like, oh, you know, you like some silly, you know, you think Marvel is like the pinnacle of American filmmaking. But at the end of the day, cause I enjoy the Marvel films. I don't care. Mm. Um, you know, but I'll also be, you know, I'll voice my opinion on the matter. Um, right. And uh, I think that's something that pe for people like me and you who do love film the way that we do, that is always something we should be careful of to make sure we're not, like, you know, being too pretentious. Because <laughs> you never want to belittle anybody Yeah, else. exactly. Um, and for me, some of my favorite films are uh, The Godfather. Um, everybody, I think most people, would agree that that's just, like, one of the... 
I know everybody. I'm you, just I'm just, I know actually, you would probably have opinions on it. But I meant most of us common folk. But no, it's, it's one of my favorites. My dad and I watched it. Um, obviously, Star Wars is one of my favorite franchises, minus a couple. Uh, but yeah, I, I think... I don't know if you've actually seen it. Have you you heard of Midnight in Paris? Yes. It's one of my films that I know is probably like not that great, but I just love it. I, it's one of those things I watch probably two, three times a I want to give it a second chance. I, I started watching it, and Owen Wilson's character was just pissing me off, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get, care about his, um, you know, any of his problems or anything mm-hmm. he had to deal with. Um, but I'm always believing in giving films a second chance. Maybe it was just the mood I was in that night. Right. And that I just, you know, I didn't know something about it. That's um, interesting. There's a couple of films like that where I need to rewatch them, mm-hmm. because like Gravity, The Ides of March, Schindler's List, films that... I'm not. I'm willing to acknowledge I might not have gotten it first try, so mm-hmm. I want to try again. Well, for me, his problem um, is like something I very really uh, align with, in that I think one of the problems he experiences is just the. I, I mean, the whole point of the film, kind of a spoiler alert. I'll try and make it vague. Sorry. Is that he isn't happy with where what time period he's in? Um, he doesn't like modern. Oh, time. I know. I know what right. happens in the. Right, no, no. Yeah. I know you know, but I'm. I'm just trying to follow my brain process. Okay, <laughs> it, it's just that he's not happy, and I think many people can relate to the fact that we're not always happy with how the world currently is. Yeah. Um, it sucks sometimes, um, and then it proceeds to go into the fact that well, the past isn't always better either, um, and I, I love that because I think we're always trying to escape, and I know for me, um, I think where movies become more subjective is how they did display it. Not what the theme is, but like how the theme is shown. Because they could have gotten that theme of the now is awful. Um, and maybe brought it to the future. Um, maybe brought it to his childhood. But they brought it to the 20s. Because that's what he loved. And I, being a future literature teacher, love the characters that were shown in there. It had uh, like Ernest Hemingway, Scott Fitzgerald. Um, seeing those and the references they made to to like art or books, uh, it just makes me warm inside, and that's the best way I can say <laughs> I it. Love is that. I watch it and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking yeah. about, and like because Owen Wilson's character starts um, freaking out, like I'm I'm meeting Ernest Hemingway, I'm freaking out, I'm like he's meeting Ernest Hemingway, <laughs> um, and for a moment I go, how is this possible? And I go, it, it's a movie, it's, really- <laughs> <laughs> it's not possible. I love that, um, and so. I think there's always just a point where you go, a movie is, can be shot well, a movie can have a great score, but then sometimes, even the worst movies, um, and I think you'd agree, sometimes you watch like a student film, and it's, it's not as good, it's not as made as well, yeah. but the things it deals with, um, and even just like some of the dialogue, it just speaks to people, um, and everybody has had a, like, a different life, and if, that, if like a movie speaks out to somebody, and I don't get it at all, that's not really my place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so movies are interesting, and I think they're one of the greatest things that the world has ever brought to mankind, um, and their ability to incorporate so many different aspects of what people love and combine it into something that is consumable <coughs> in sometimes less than an hour. Yeah. Um, so that's my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's my line. How dare you? No. <laughs> um, 
I also wanted to ask you, though, thinking about movies, about the production of movies, um, is that ever anything, it's like something that you ever are interested in as well, or do you just like to consume the final product? Um, I like to hear about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, it'll help put certain things into perspective. Like, if I find something kind of odd, and then I hear that during the production there was something more like, eh. Oh, excuse me. There I'm was sorry something if I'm boring you. No, no, you're <laughs> fine. I just don't sleep. Um, there is um, if there's something like there was a greater purpose behind it. Well, then I can reevaluate it. Did, mm. did I think that that worked, or did I think that was still? Because I'm not of the mind that just because a director claims that they're intentional with something that makes it good, mm. <laughs> you know, it, it can still suck. Yeah. Um, but with the knowledge of production, you know, that puts things in a different perspective. And I find it interesting. I find the whole process of making a film to be very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it can be cool to, I didn't think, honestly, looking at behind the scenes bonus features like that are one of those things that I like, but it's more of a theoretical enjoyment than I care to admit. Mm -hmm. Um, like reading and going to the gym, something I always mean to do a little <laughs> bit more, um, right. than I actually wind up doing in practice. Um, but, so, yeah, theoretically, <laughs> I quite enjoy I understand. production. But it's never something you'd want to partake in. Um, it depends on what part of the production we're talking about. Okay. I, I just, I really mean the whole, because one of my favorite things um, is I love watching, whether it be, like, YouTube personalities interview with them or behind-the-scenes footage. I love seeing what it's, like, the movie is like from the perspective of, like, the director, the producer, yeah. and then the actors in it. Um, I think especially now, actors have way more say in the movie than in prior years. Especially if you're Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and now a lot of actors are beginning to make their own movies and star in them, Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Um, which I think is phenomenal because... And they're, like, good. Yeah. I think it's great because... Being able to, like, take part in the writing of what's happening, in the way it's shot, and then being able to do it, when you have one mind kind of behind all three of those things, it's very seamless. Mm. It paints, like, an accurate picture, whereas some uh, movies that I'm not going to name, but you know what I'm talking about, switch directors during it, and then ruin a franchise. <laughs> but that's fine. I'm you, fine. You sound bitter. I'm not bitter. And so... <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely you, bitter, and I don't want to talk are about you ta it. <laughs> we don't even mention it by name, but are you talking about the one spinoff film? Maybe. And so... <laughs> okay. How did that ruin the whole franchise? I, mean, I agree it sucked. It was four out of ten, but... We'll, we'll talk about it off the podcast, <laughs> where, where I can be a little more aggressive. And so, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And, <laughs> but so, I think it's interesting. I would love... Uh, I was t talking on a previous podcast with Seth Grandel, look him up, people, <laughs> that, uh, that I enjoy my major, and I really, really want to teach English, but I'd love to get into film. Um, I loved acting growing up. I would take uh, part in plays whenever I could. Um, I love writing dialogue. I love just, like, I'll be outside, and even though I'm, I'm nowhere n near as good as even, like, film students. I love just taking my camera and just, like, taking a photo of something or <coughs> recording. Um, like, the other day it was raining, and I just recorded the rain tapping on this puddle and then somebody walking away. Um, and to me, it, it's just fun. Yeah. And I just wondered if there was ever any aspect of a film you ever wanted to get into or the one that, if you were forced to, you would want to do the most. Probably the writing. Yeah, I love stories and characters, mm -hmm. and really diving deep into to motivations and 
and deciding like what makes sense for the characters that you have on hand and deciding what which motivations and what, which actions are going to suit you best for the story to make sense and have purpose and meaning and, and not be a terrible mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if I definitely had to be part of any process, it would be the the, the, mo- the most creative process, but the least technical of the most creative processes, okay. I would say. Because I love things like cinematography and score, and if I tried to do that on my own, it would, no. <laughs> it would be a horrible disaster. But... Um, you know, I know my lane, and my lane is definitely more storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love to like write a screenplay or something one day. So, if you could, either now or go back in time, I-, I guess I'll give you two options. You can answer both. Go back in time and be on the writing team for a film. Ooh. What would it be? Or what director or screenwriter, if you could work with right now on a film? Wes Anderson. Okay. That was very <laughs> Wes Anderson or Edgar Wright or Hayao Miyazaki. Any of those three I would work with any day, twice on Sunday. Would you go back and work with them in the past? or? Oh, if I could be on the set of like The Grand with the Best Hotel or Spear Bit Away. But as or a Hot spectator Fuzz. or as a helper? Oh. Because I get, I get confused on whether I just want to watch the process. <laughs> Because I don't necessarily want my ideas in some of my favorite works. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't want it to be ruined <laughs> by me. Yeah, I more kind of just want to, I don't want to ruin what's already either perfect or close to perfect in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and to clarify, Spirit of the Way gets a 10, Hot Fuzz and Grand for the Best Hotel get 9s. Um, and all three of those films are so fantastic and some of my absolute favorites. Yeah. Um, I probably want to be more of a spectator just to see you know, the masters at their craft. Yeah. Do their thing. Wow. Um, oh, what a fun experience that would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be with freaking Wes Anderson and he's making his next fantastic film. Yeah. Oh, that'd be the best. It's interesting for me. I feel like, uh, especially with actors, um, I've seen so many things and everyone goes, I want to be an actor in a Star Wars film. Um, and Star Wars is one of my favorite things. Um, as we divulge yes. in <laughs> bits of rage. <laughs> uh, I think I would never want to be an actor in a Star Wars film. I can agree with that. Um, just because even if you're a background or you're a stormtrooper in one scene and nobody knows except you and like a couple friends, like that's all fine and dandy. I would love to be on the writing team for a Star Wars film. If I were to act, I'd prefer to be more of an indie production. I, I, I really love acting a lot. I was in a short film uh, last semester for one of my friends... Uh, if only Howard Shower that's called. Give give Caleb Davidson some love. He's great. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I wouldn't want to be in a bigger production like that where my name would be up in lights or some nonsense. That would be, that'd be too much pressure, first of all, mm-hmm. um, and too much potential consequences afterwards. Right. As, um, as the actors of Jar Jar Binks and Anakin Skywalker <laughs> from The Phantom Menace have unfortunately found out. Yes. Is that the viewing public can often be very nasty and very entitled, and when something doesn't turn out to meet their expectations that they've so emotionally put into it, they can, you know, it's not wrong to be terribly disappointed by a movie. It is wrong to then violently threaten <laughs> mm. and verbally harass the actors and people who are part Completely. of that. Um, I agree. If I was going to be an actor in anything mainstream, I think it would go back to uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars or anything like that. I'd want to be a voice actor. Yeah, I would love um, to do that too. I would love to do voice acting in general. Uh, I won't spoil this podcast with any of my voices, but... Uh, some people in my friend group last year were telling me that I could do some pretty good ones, uh, even Mark Hamill's Joker. 
things like that. Mark Hamill, um, yeah. Big fan. Uh, but I would love to just give that a try. I don't think it's an easy job, but I think it's a really yeah. rewarding one. Um, and I think that the voice, the tone of a person changes so much. Um, and I'd be just honored to take part in something like that. Yeah, I'm same, honestly. <laughs> but uh, be the best. We've talked about movies for almost 40 minutes That's now. what I was trying to see. I was curious how long we've gone. <laughs> and so let's go on to the next thing I wanted to <laughs> Maybe it'll take uh, multiple hours. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, so why don't you just say what your major is? <laughs> My major is electrical engineering. I'm kidding. No, it's government with an emphasis in legal studies. So what does that really entail? So the best way I could describe the program is that it's a mixture of poli-sci and pre-law, mm-hmm. um, and that has regular classes that will... I, I almost kind of regret not doing a public policy emphasis, mm-hmm. um, but in the end, it's, I don't think it's going to really matter in the grand scheme. Based on how I know you get jobs in politics, that's not going to be a huge um, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so you'll, you'll learn things about like political theory and, and public policy and how that comes about, mm-hmm. how the laws that Congress passes actually come into being. And more than legislation, and then they'll also learn things about like civil law, criminal law, how you know people formulate contracts. Um, you know, next semester I'll be taking criminal law, so I'm sure I'll learn about you know criminal procedure and and uh, sentencing and things like that. Um, and it's good. I I really like the amount of information I'm able to give. It's all very generalized, um, which I think is good for uh, entry level positions, like I'm going to be applying for, mm-hmm. in uh, by this time next year. Um, and it'll give me a wide set of, like, knowledge. Right. Um, without necessarily meaning to get the immediate pay grade of somebody who's gone to law school. Um, that was my original plan. That is why I did legal studies at first. But I have dropped the idea of law school mm-hmm. as time has gone by. The job market for lawyers isn't great. Law school's too expensive. Um, and as I've learned in my, uh, my legal studies classes, it's just not for me. I am very happy with what I've learned in the classes so far, but I wouldn't really want to go. I don't think I could really stay awake in anything <laughs> a whole lot deeper than it is. Um, but it's a great program. I love it. I love the professors and everything. Yeah. So what's your end goal? End goal? I, I would love to be like the president of the United States someday or be in the Senate and Congress. I, I want to, you know, be somebody who makes policy, who's able to help people. Um, but in that way, I find utmost fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the utmost fascinating, I should say. Um, yeah. No, that's... Yeah. So... Humble dreams. With, without sounding rude, why? Why? <laughs> why would you do this to yourself? Um, <laughs> no, because I, I think of it in the way that like I, I want to teach, and I, I don't see it as I want to teach because I really care that students understand what Shakespeare wrote all these years ago. I do it because I want them to develop the, uh, first of all, the, the skills to read and write and speak and the metacognitive skills to understand how to do those things, not just doing them, but how to. Um, and I also want to develop their characters, and I think through stories and literature especially, that's one of the best ways to develop character. Um, and I, f- I view that as me changing the world and changing it for the better by raising uh, generations of people to go out there and, and change it for me, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. you want to you wanna change policy that makes things better for people. We don't yeah. have to get into specifics. <laughs> yeah. But um, what, what led you to choose that? Why is that the avenue you want to go about changing things? I would say the answer is threefold. One, um, as a Christian, I believe God's given me certain gifts and certain talents and, and certain abilities. And I feel like all of them are able to be utilized very well in mm-hmm. the world of politics. You know, my people skills, my... 
um, let's say, obsession with detail of things that I find passion and interest in. Yeah. Um, things like that all work very well here. Um, the second thing is that the reason why I want to help in this specific realm is because this is the realm I find most fascinating. Um, one of the most fascinating, I, you know, I have a few different major interests, as you could see with our 40-minute discussion on movies. Mm -hmm. um, but politics is definitely the big one that's always, that, that struck a chord, that the seeds of that were planted in the third grade. Like, I got the President's Encyclopedia, and I read that thing every day. I memorized all the Presidents in the third grade by total accident, mm -hmm. um, and just learned all about them. And, um... <clears throat> And there's just, I think with politics is that it always is changing. There's always something new and interesting happening in the world, as we have all collectively as a society learned over the last few years. Um, and that it's always, it's always a fresh well of new people and new policies and new ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the third, what was that? There was a third reason, and I'm starting to blank on it. Um, it's okay. <laughs> It'll come to me in a few moments, probably. But those are probably the two, um, the two biggest reasons. I just, you know, I feel like th that's where my my talents and everything lead me to go, mm -hmm. and um, that's the, you know, I want to help people, and that's the way in which I can be f most fully alive in yeah. doing, um, in doing that and accomplishing that. Um, plus, I want to change things. I wanna. I'm an extremely opinionated person, and I don't want to just sit by. And not let, you know, if I'm going to complain and, and have as much opinions as I do about right. politics, I better be involved to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, and because I'm a ridiculous person and I like to jump into things, <laughs> I like to go all out um, when it comes to things that I love mm -hmm. and people that I love. And, and whenever, you know, whenever my mind decides to gravitate towards something, that's it. There's not, it's not going to be like a milk toast lukewarm sort of passion it'll be you know i'll be finding out all the information until all the information is exhausted <laughs> yeah and uh no i love it i love po well i mean love is an interesting word i just i find so much fulfillment in politics and like as much as it can frustrate me and piss me off sometimes every time i think the the best example of this i mean you saw me on election night last year the midterm elections. I felt so alive, so yeah. so happy, you know. It was his Christmas. It was my Christmas, it was my birthday, it was my Super Bowl, it was <laughs> it was my graduation ceremony. I was I was losing my mind. I was so excited and um and even just something happening now with the election all starting for next year, you know, everybody declaring, I'm I'm pumped, I'm ready for the debates this summer. Yes. It's gonna be lit. Um Living in the city, I suppose the way the cool kids say it, um, I wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I love it. I, it's my thing. It's my jam. <laughs> well, that's great, and I'm glad you found it. Um, so when it comes to politics, you are from California. Uh, we go to college in Arizona. Yep. Where do you want your, I guess, your political origins to start? Um, Do you see yourself staying out here? I know California can be a difficult political arena. So the answer to this has actually changed in recent weeks um, okay. in that I felt a lot more peace with what I'm probably going to be doing after college. So I did want to stay out here initially, um, especially when college first started when I used to be a lot more conservative than I, than I currently am. I'm a lot more of a mixed bag, to put it politely. Um, <laughs> I'm a hot mess politically. Um but when I was a lot more conservative, it made more sense to come out here and not be in California because, you know, we all know how, uh, how conservative California is. <laughs> right. Not at all. Um, and, but recently, since I have become a little more liberal and with all the, the campaign stuff happening, what I'm probably going to do is this. Is I'm going to go back home for a little while and um, 
gonna find a job, probably just work at Vons again for a little bit, make some cash money, start paying off student loans. Um, mm-hmm. And what I'm likely going to go ahead and do is I'm gonna go ahead and join because Super Tuesday is March 1st in California this next year. So I'm gonna be going back home at like a perfect time where all that's really getting into swing in the campaigning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna work on a campaign. And the great thing about politics is that it, getting jobs and moving up is really about who you know and what your connections and resources are. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and uh, that's just a good way for me to get my foot more in the water mm-hmm. is helping out in the campaign. And, you know, because I would like to think I'm a good hard worker. My, uh, my bare minimum is above average, unfortunately, because our work ethic today <laughs> as a society is kind of terrible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that's not like, you know, some people, some people might hear that and be like, you're putting too much stock in that. Now, here's the thing. I'm at peace with the fact that it might not work out for the first several years. It might just be, you know, campaigns are something I do every couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and it's great. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln lost, what, his first several elections that he tried out for? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and if that doesn't work out, though, I did intern with the John McCain offices for a couple semesters. So I do have a foot in the door to some extent. So... If that doesn't work out, I'll give it a few months, and um, but then I'll reach out to them and see if, you know, be very polite and be like, is there any, <laughs> wherever you're at, is there any jobs available? Because I'm looking for work, and, um, you know, I'm willing to do basically what, what, what I've realized the good thing about my specifics as to what I want to do right away is that I don't really have a super specific. And I prefer to do federal government, and I prefer it to be policy-oriented. Um, but even then, I'm still flexible with what that's supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. And um, and we'll see. We will see. this By this time next year, I should have a good idea um, of where I am and where I'm going to be at mm. in the short term. So would you say you kind of have the idea of, of what you want, where you want to go, but you're just seeing uh, if God's going to take you there? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, because it's, politics is such a, you know, it's, it's, it's a giant ocean, mm-hmm. and it can often be a very choppy, very unexpected ocean. Um, and, you know... I could be at the bottom and then very quickly, you know, I accidentally knew the right person and then get yeeted up to the top. Or I could be up on the top and then something happens where I'm a moron or somebody close to me is a moron and I'm yeeted right back down to the bottom. Um, I'm sorry for using the term yeet. I I find it very amusing over the last few weeks. Um, (laughs) I've been incorporating it into conversation more. Um, Love it. And... um, but no, I'm, I'm keeping an open mind. Um, you know, the career path I chose is not one that is necessarily inherently stable. Yeah. You know, I could have just done something, you know, something that could have guaranteed that I'll always be needed 100%. Because, you know, turnover, suppose I get a job in like a cabinet position in the presidency and it lasts eight years. It's just eight years. There's no guarantee I'll be, especially if it changes parties. I'll probably get, you know, thrown out from my job. Granted, yeah. you know, it'll be easier to, to make money and to do things afterwards. But there's still no guarantee. I mean, you know, I can think of two people from the former Obama administration who um, who weren't people like anything huge beforehand and are still like prominent figures. You know, Julian Castro is the Housing and Labor Development Secretary and he's running for president. Tom Perez was the Labor Secretary and he's the DNC head. Um, and John Kerry was already a long-time senator and presidential candidate beforehand. What are the rest of them? What are they, like, doing yeah. to be in the public eye? And I'm sure they are doing so. I'm not saying they're not doing I'm not saying they're all homeless people on the streets. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that I'm not putting too much stock into, into necessarily one end goal. Um, 
because, you know, fate is fluid, and my destiny is in the hands of God, and he has allowed me some autonomy in that journey. Um, and, you know, I'll need to make some hard... I'm very curious to see over the next few years what hard decisions will come up, things I haven't... I've only kind of thought about and, like, fantasizing about the future, mm-hmm. but, like, hard decisions that will, like, test me in regards to who am I actually, like, morally and ethically... Um, because, you know, spoilers, politics <laughs> very often <laughs> tests that sort of thing. Um, and I'm very excited to find out what exactly am I made of, mm-hmm. how tough is the stuff that my ethics and and belief structures are made out of. And I'm optimistic. Yeah, that's fantastic. So a huge part of politics, especially now, um, and I, as I'm sure you know, is news. Um and there's so many different ways to get your news from newspapers, which are uh, dying, but What's still a, a thing. What's <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> um, online articles, you know, videos on YouTube, Twitter. People can get their news from anywhere, which is scary, yeah, <laughs> quite frankly. So wh- what do you think is happening with news? What's going to happen? Where do you tend to try and get your news? Uh, for me... Uh, for a while, it you was the uh, Philip DeFranco show. Okay. Um, I found it good. He would incorporate kind of ideas from both yeah. sides. Uh, I mainly stopped just because some of the the news was well. One, it's just kind of too hard for me to to follow every day because it's not as relevant in my field. Um, as well as some of the times, just the way he speaks and uh, some of the way he describes things, I find isn't befitting of my personality. <laughs> no, I get you. Um, and that and that just happens with time but I, I did enjoy that and I think one thing he said that I stand by is you should never trust anyone even him you should always check on like both yep. sides for your information yep 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 absolutely 100% if you are listening to an echo chamber and if you find yourself in a place where all the media you consume is just people agreeing with you all day mm-hmm. um, you're making a mistake <laughs> you need to diversify I think whether you're conservative or liberal you need to diversify your your um, what you listen to and bring in because you could be wrong Mm -hmm. just objectively on everything that's always a possibility that you have to keep in mind and and just keeping yourself in an echo chamber where you know everybody just agrees with you all day and nobody says anything that's you know if they do disagree with you it's only mild things that's not good that's not healthy and i don't think that you're somebody who I, i hate to be blunt but you're not somebody who's really worth talking to politically if all you do is watch Fox News all day, or all you all you do is listen to, to Vox podcasts all day, you haven't you haven't proven yourself at least to to some to a political junkie like me as somebody who is truly wanting to know the truth. Mm-hmm. Because you know everybody has a bias in the media, um, and something in, in regards to your question of where I think the media is going, I don't think it's a <laughs> a great place. I think it's going to a place of sensationalization and and you know and clickbait. You know, I would think that as the media has moved from the 24-hour cable news cycles, that in order to survive, they have to be sensational and opinion-driven. Yeah. Um, that we move out of that a little bit. But instead, we've just kind of... We've taken what people like Sean Hannity um, and Lawrence O'Donnell are. You know, mm-hmm. big, loud, you know, having their big uh, opinions that they feel so morally strong about. Um, and then just moving them into articles. With yeah. no faces, and um, and that's disappointing. Um, in regards to where I get my news, 
So I'm going to give an answer that's going to trigger some people, but just bear with me because I, I understand why it would trigger you if <laughs> I didn't explain it further. Um, I get it from Twitter usually. <laughs> but on Twitter, I don't get my tw uh, news from just looking at the, the the hashtags and then, oh, well, there's the news. Herp, herp. Um, I follow news organizations and pundits that I like and trust. Um, with news organizations, I like Politico. I like, I mean, I... I think CNN gets kind of a bum rap. I think Fox News and MSNBC are much, much worse than CNN could ever hope to be. Um, so I follow them. I like the Daily Wire. They're a conservative outlet, but I think they're pretty decent. Um, and uh, I follow a variety of pundits, uh, like Jake Tapper, Ben Shapiro, Kyle Kalinske. Um, I follow a variety of politicians. I follow the president, because you know, we all know how much he enjoys using Twitter. Um, I follow Ted Cruz, Tulsi Gabbard, Bernie Sanders, uh, Mike Lee, Ben Sass. Um, and, uh, because I like to keep up with what everybody has to say on mm -hmm. everything. And, um, I think that, um, Twitter, what is useful for it, for me at least, is that it streamlines it. Yeah. I don't have to go to multiple different sources. I can just have all the sources come to me in a very orderly fashion in my timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, and that just, it's, it's mostly a time saver, honestly. Like, I could go to every website, but, you know, <laughs> I don't have enough time in my day. Well, and especially um, with how much news actually Yeah, happens. exactly. With so much that's going on in the world, um, it's much more useful. Plus, uh, on nights like debates and stuff, I right. enjoy... That's where my uh, the people whose opinions I follow prove most useful and amusing. Because mm -hmm. uh, it can be very fun to like keep track of all the dank memes that, that come out. Um, probably the best Twitter person I follow is this... <laughs> is this account called Comfortably Smug? Um, it's somebody who's very, I don't even know who really it is, but it's somebody who's very obviously not serious. A good mm -hmm. lot of it, sometimes they are, but most of the time, <laughs> they're very, like, sometimes they'll list off Trump's accomplishments, um, and their viewpoint. Some of them are, like, legitimate, like, accomplishments, and then, but some of them are, like, ending Obama's war on Christmas, or things that, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. right. things that very obviously weren't there, and it's a joke. Mm -hmm. um, or, like, that, that same account will, like, we'll talk about Merrick Garland, the, the Supreme Court justice that Obama nominated but never wound up getting a hearing. That, that account will talk about him as if he's dead. <laughs> like, it'll be like Merrick Garland's looking down upon us and shaking his head. And Merrick Garland is very much still alive and, <laughs> and on the court. Um, <laughs> so it's things, I, I enjoy pundits that are self-aware and don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Um, but if they are going to be, like, smug... Um, be more like Ben Shapiro, who at least sometimes makes comments about his smugness and acknowledges that, um, and less like Kyle Kalinske, who I too often don't see him acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. And I'll be let me be very clear: I really like both Ben Shapiro and Kyle Kalinske. I listen to them both a lot. Um, <laughs> they're two of the most interesting voices um, on the political spectrum in America right now, in my opinion. Uh, both wildly, Ben Shapiro was very libertarian, conservative. Um, Kyle Kalinske is very Bernie Sanders um, style. Mm -hmm. uh, social Democrat, um, and I agree with some of them on certain issues, and agree with um, <laughs> I disagree with some of them on different ones. Um, but yeah, that's about my hot take on on how I think people should be in taking their in taking their media. It's cool. Do you think that there's a certain ethic or like moral guideline when it comes to using media and like what the future? I I, I break it down. Uh, into a couple different ways, especially whether you like or dislike Trump, right? You can't deny uh, that him and his team use like really well social media. Yeah. From Facebook to Twitter, um, a lot 
obviously, like you mentioned, he uses Twitter a lot. Um, and he gets a lot of hate, and he gets a lot of praise. And I think a lot of uh, his campaign um, was targeted towards a demographic that was wanting to be a little bit loud or a little bit yeah. boisterous. Um, and he and he did it well uh, because social media is one of the places where you can be anonymously loud and boisterous. Um, I think that that worked a lot better during... I don't mean to disagree with you or anything. Mm. Uh, well, I guess I that's a lie. I disagree with you in the sense that I think it worked a lot better for the campaign and was a lot more useful there. Mm-hmm. I think it's entirely counterproductive with him as the president. Currently. Um, yes. I would completely yeah, agree with okay. that. that yeah. That's <laughs> not what I was uh, Okay, no, my apology. I thought I, I misunderstood you. Uh, that's fine. And that when you're trying to get elected and like build a name brand for yourself, that's good. But when you already have a name brand and you're already the president... Maybe now is the time to stop tweeting about how pundits have bloody facelifts when they come to your <laughs> your New Year's parties. Maybe mm-hmm. don't, you know, reveal that you're thinking that Obama was wiretapping you during the campaign. Maybe not just announce policy decisions first on your Twitter before telling, like, you know, the Pentagon. Or, <laughs> or maybe, you know, some more important um, people that should perhaps find out about this before you just release it and blab it to the general public. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, the general public are often just a bunch of lemmings half the time and will freaking run off the cliff. Yeah. In hearing the, or not even just the general public, but the markets and the world economy is very volatile. Um, and I think one of the dangers with Donald Trump and what he does is that he does just say whatever comes to his freaking head. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, but I do think you need to be wise about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't view him as somebody who's wise about it. I view him as somebody who's very reckless with his words. Uh, and then we'll then get his panties in a twist whenever somebody is mean to him. or does If somebody does the same exact thing he does, you better believe that he's going to be, like, criticizing it. And mm-hmm. be like, oh my gosh, how dare you. Like, Donald Trump is not somebody who I ever want to hear giving a lecture on political decorum. I'm sorry. He, <laughs> I think from the moment he started his campaign, um, he lost the right to pretend like that's an actual priority of his. Mm-hmm. Um and that's if there are any politicians listening somehow, that's all I ask from you guys. If you're going to have standards, uphold them your own self. Otherwise, shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't pretend to care about things you don't actually care. Like, Republicans don't get to pretend to care about obstruction in the age of Trump. And Democrats, after this, don't get to pretend to care about obstruction in the age of whenever Democrat gets into office. Right. Like, it's one of those fake things that politicians pretend to care about. But, like, I think it makes sense to me. You're very obviously going to con- obstruct the other party whose ideas you think are bad for the country. Yeah. Like, I'd be confused if you weren't trying to obstruct them. Mm-hmm. Be like, well, if you're campaigning against them, why aren't you obstructing them? <laughs> and, <laughs> if you think their ideas are so bad, you know, with the hyperbole that both cam- both sides like to use nowadays, you know, they're going to destroy the country. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, just be... I know it's like asking, you know, a child not to pick his nose, but politicians, just be honest. <laughs> just mm-hmm. be honest with yourselves and your constituents about... Your, not your policies, but your politics and how you behave when you campaign. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dishonest, you know, jerk about things. That's, that's really fair. Do you think, um, part of my original question that I was sort of wondering, that uh, there needs to be, well, not needs to be, that there is just, like, where, where is the line to you between, like, freedom of speech and, like, defamation of, like, people's personalities, especially with like mass media online yeah. in regards to news where somebody can take things and it happens. There's no like, yeah. if it happens, it, it happens. People take things out of context. People don't listen to the full story. Um, and then they write these articles about 
millions of articles go about this one person and it completely ruins their image in the public. But, you know, freedom of speech, they're allowed to do that if they want to. Where, where do you think all that lies and what do you think needs to happen for that to to maybe stop happening as much? So I think as a society, what we need to stop doing is we need to stop having an opinion right away when a new story breaks. Mm-hmm. We need to wait maybe like a week or so for like other details to come out. Because this happens a lot where... We'll immediately, you know, we'll hear a story, we'll immediately go to what our uh, biases are, um, go to that corner, and then just start hurling tomatoes at the other corner, while the actual evidence is like, you know, is there like, hi guys, like, <laughs> um, and that's going to lead to, especially in this mass media age, it's going to be lead to danger for people. It's going to be very dangerous to just immediately begin attacking and hurting and harming someone. Um, in regards to where the where the line is, in regards to, I presume you mean like Legally speaking, like with the law, what it should Legally be. Legally and your own ethics. My own ethics. I, I would say it's um, it would be both ethically um and legally. Although ethically, I would say I would be nicer about when I'm attacking somebody. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is it true? Because it's not. There's a difference between slander and then just saying what is objectively true in a mean way. Mm-hmm. Saying like you know, George W. Bush was kind of a terrible president and may have committed some war crimes, isn't really slander. He probably did commit some things that violated some international law um, with everything that happened with Iraq. Whether or not he was malicious about it is one thing. But the fact that, you know, things were, you know, laws were broken, rules of engagement were not, you know, followed 100%, and that should, in my opinion, come to him as commander-in-chief. You know, if he needs to do, he should have done something more about it. Um... And, you know, again, and I'm fully willing to admit that perhaps there are more things about, you know, that whole eight years in office that I don't know because it's all classified. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think, or, or saying that Obama, um, he's a bad president for having an American uh, citizen uh, get killed by a drone without a fair trial. And that that's kind of violating of the Constitution and he should probably go to jail if there's any justice in the world. That's not slander. That's just, he did that. Mm-hmm. And presidents don't really get to go to jail anymore if they just violate the Constitution very flagrantly like that, you know, ignoring due process. Um, where it goes ethically for me and where it should go legally is when that becomes a lie, um, when it's malicious slander. Um, because there's a difference between just slander and criticism. And too often people um, criti- this is something I see a lot on the left. You know, I, I jumped on George W. Bush, but something I've seen with uh, Elon Omar. Um, the uh, House rep from Minnesota who made his cer- uh, certain comments um, that came across as very anti-Semitic because, in my opinion, <laughs> they were anti- anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And um, too often I saw people on the left be like, this is a smear. But it's not really a smear. They're just taking her words and, and, <laughs> and interpreting them in a way that I think is perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a good thing to get more specific to that situation, um, if she had just criticized the government of Israel and then people were calling her anti-Semitic, that would have been a malicious smear. But she made some other more specific comments that, that played upon anti-Semitic tropes to the point where I think, you know, people wondering, you know, questioning, you know, her own personal beliefs on the matter, it goes, it's no longer just a smear. I think it's a legitimate thing that needs to be discussed. As she's a member of Congress, she's a big girl, she needs to, you know, that that's a thing that, you know, as a mem- any, every member of Congress, regardless of who you are, has to get over if you're going to make comments like that, <laughs> you're going to need to be ready for speculation about your own personal beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm all for having tough conversations. But when you make things up or you, as you suggested, when you jump into things too quickly, um, like with those Catholic school students back in January 
where everybody immediately jumped on them um, for being disrespectful. But then there was more to that story later on that was revealed. Mm -hmm. um, and now one of them is like suing like the Washington Post for $250 million. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like, if you want to run the, those dumb slanderous stories before all the evidence has come out, that's fine. But, you know, I think you absolutely deserve to get sued up your butt right afterwards. Right. Um, you know, you shouldn't... Freedom of speech, I'm a free speech absolutist. As long as it's not a call to violence and as long as it's not malicious slander, you should be able to say whatever dumb nonsense that comes in, whatever mindless drivel comes to your head. You mm -hmm. should be able to fly whatever dumb garbage flag you want. You should be able to say whatever horrible thing you want to say as long as it doesn't violate those two things. But, 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 if you decide to, to fly a swastika in front of your house, you get to enjoy all the wonderful consequences <laughs> of such actions and you get to enjoy the, 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 the reviling of your neighbors. And that's something that I think, I see this a lot, especially on the conservative right, um, where I think that, you know, free speech suppression is a problem on things like social media platforms. But phrasing in such a way that my first my free speech rights are being violated just isn't true. Because free speech only applies to the government. Private companies can suppress speech however way they damn well please. Um, and that's just a fact of the matter. Um, is it in the spirit of free speech? No. Is it, you know, am I allowed to criticize companies for decisions like that? Absolutely. Um, and I think we should pressure companies to, you know, if we, if we as a society feel that companies are behaving in such a manner that is unethical and wrong and antithetical to our values, then we should absolutely be able to criticize them and pressure them by with our words and our wallets um, to behave in such a manner. But we shouldn't be like going to the government being like, Facebook is suppressing me! Like, the <laughs> right. who cares? The government doesn't need to be involved in that whatsoever. Um, that's not important. And, um... Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on the free speech issue, as you can tell. <laughs> I can. Um, that's great. I. It's obvious that you're passionate. It's obvious that you put a, a decent amount of thought into all of this. Um, going back to the original statement about all this was what your major is and why you're here. Obviously, this is something you care a lot about, and, and I appreciate that. I think it's really great that uh, you're pursuing this. Um, my only question is, was there anything else or is there anything else that when you think about you could see what might have been what might have been like another major uh, for me it would it would be film or creative writing um, is there any other route you just wanted to, to take um, I actually would agree with film animation for a long time I wanted to be a cartoonist um, recently I rediscovered um, I mean rediscovered this we were to say it I remembered um, the old cartoon show I used to want to I want to make, and all sorts of memories became flooding back to me of episode ideas mm -hmm. and characters, and all of it's still on Facebook. I still have a bunch of stuff. Um, it was called The Adventures in Happy Town. Mm. Um, I had a bunch of, it was just, it was of this town, and there were a select group of characters, and, you know, it would, they'd all do their thing. It was almost kind of like a, not like a variety show in the sense that it was different every time, but it was a variety show in the sense that it wasn't focusing on the same characters every episode. There was a selection of characters to choose from, mm -hmm. and, um... I think that there was potential there for something. I, I think um, that God doesn't just have one path and all the other paths are disasters and it's going to lead to horrible pain, misery, and woe for you. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be very interested in seeing like an alternate reality of some kind um, to know what would have happened had I gone down that path. Um, I probably wouldn't have come here, honestly. I probably mm -hmm. would have tried to go out for the Art Institute um, in Los Angeles. And... Um, you know, there's a couple other minor ones like history, 
I wouldn't mind have learning more about or or being more into like some kind of scholarly thing like a philosophy or an apologetics or a theology kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or something completely different that I was thinking about last semester. Um, not last semester, but semester before was that like zoology or being like a zookeeper of some kind, working with animals. Um, all things that I would um, wouldn't have minded or doing, you know, hospitality, um, you know, working with a hotel, being the manager of some something like that. Um, there's lots of different things that I would have done had politics not, you know, <laughs> become the thing that it is for me. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. But you're 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 solid. Yeah, this no, is what I'm, you want. This I'm definitely and, uh, solid, and I think that's fantastic. So the next part that I kind of wanted to just bridge it to is uh, we talk about movies, uh, which are really fun. Um, but it, it's it's clear that you and I are people that are in general not surface level. You know, yeah, we we enjoy the deeper things, and uh, <laughs> you're going into politics, which is a very stressful. Uh, thing. I'm going into teaching, which not a lot of people think is oh, stressful. No. But it, it, My mom is a preschool aide. It sounds very <laughs> stressful. Um, and it's one of the only jobs uh, in America that isn't like drug tested because they know that teachers do like need medicine yeah. to like cope with it. Um, and so that's a very like stress inducing, anxious life for yeah. you and I. Um, and I'd say that's some, you know, I, I don't think it, I'd be far fetched from saying that. Uh, uh, history would agree that some of the most, like beautiful or most like uh, life changing people, um, were very sad or very yeah. uh, you know eccentric. Um, the people that did the greatest things are the people that also had the wildest and sometimes hardest lives. Um, and I think some of the most empathetic people are the people that are perhaps uh, the people that need the most empathy. And so something I know we we've had some conversations about. And uh, that has recently become more problematic for me is just dealing with like a- a- anxiety, um, and and uh, even like I, I briefly said before we started this podcast, I think everybody deals yeah, with anxiety, um, whether they understand that or not. Some people it comes in the form of they're just like, you know, freaking out um, a little bit, or they're just like stressed and they don't realize that that that's anxiety, that that uh, happens, or they just their like stomach hurts and they can't put a reason on it, and it's because they're nervous. Anxiety. Um, it, it happens differently for everybody, of course. Um, but I think that you and I might have experienced uh, a little bit more of our fair share. Um, just what has that been like? Or if you want me to share my side first, I can do that just to give you an idea of what I'm thinking. Whichever one you want, I don't care. Um, I, I'll, just, I'll just lead, I guess. Uh, for me, I had uh, always not had like a negative view of anxiety, but my household uh, was very much kind of like, you can do this. You know, it was like encouraging yeah. to go past difficulties. That if there was a difficulty, um, try harder. Not in the sense of try harder, you're not doing your best. Yeah. But always, you know, go for your best. Um, and so for me, whenever I was like stressed or feeling bad, I just kind of said, okay, that's a thing, but like I'm not going to focus on it. I'm going to do better. Um, and like so it, it wasn't directly told it was your fault. It was just kind of implied, almost <laughs> like subconsciously, because it was because that that was similar to to my experience. It was never like you know I was never told I was a bad person because you know oh I have anxiety, but I was always encouraged to like you know for me to do something about it, but to not really like think about it critically or try mm-hmm. to work on it in that regard. I um, I'd say that's kind of what I mean. A, a little different. Um, just in general, like anything. Like if you're doing like a 
like my family really focused on my academics. Um, mm-hmm. It was very important for me to, to do A's. And it was like, okay, it, and that m- majority happened. I got A's yeah. almost all the time because I knew that was the expectation, so I did it. Um, but there would be a couple times I'd come back with even like, I think the lowest I ever got was a C, and that almost put me in tears um, <laughs> just because I was so anxious. But at the time, uh, I, like I would say, oh yeah, I'm just anxious about this, but I didn't really see the weight, yeah. the weight of that situation. Um, in hindsight, I do now. Um, it didn't really become a thing for me until college, and specifically this past summer. Um, think you know, as you get older, there's more and more pressure. Um, just like way like an outward view, you're getting closer to your death. Yeah, which is one thing. Um, I you start realizing at least I have that. Um, kind of this talk about the different paths you go on that there's only so many I can take you yeah know, I can't pursue every career option I want I can't you know go travel around the world and teach and be a film yeah you know there's only so much I can do and I want to be a dad a husband you know all these different things um you, it, life starts getting a little bit more complicated yeah no I would um, agree with that <laughs> and for me um, I first realized that this past summer when I had the family over and what should have been a, a, a peaceful, fun day, and it was, it really was, and out of the blue, for no reason, I got this feeling in me that everything was going wrong, even though nothing was. Yeah. Um, and even though my heart wasn't actually beating faster, it felt that it was, um, and it hurt a little bit, and I didn't know what was happening, and so I quietly asked my dad to step away from everyone, and I explained um, and he went and took my blood pressure. It was perfect, you know. Nothing. It wasn't even just good. Like it was great. Yeah. Um. And I and he didn't understand, or not that he didn't understand. He said, "Well, are you sure that you feel bad? Like, because this says it's great." And I said, "Yes." And he goes, "I yeah. think you you're having like an anxiety attack." Um. And it was actually a good moment because he shared with me that sometimes he gets anxious too, mm-hmm. um, and that there have been mornings when he's woken up and just felt awful like that, which wasn't something. You know, dads don't tend to share their weaknesses with yeah. their sons a lot. And so when he did, it was really calming, actually. But it's become a thing for me um, where I have to know my limitations, I'd say. Um, earlier today, out of nowhere, um, some things that have been happening, you know, getting homework done, personal life stuff, uh, just sort of all came to my mind at once as soon as I sat down in class and then my heart started hurting, and I said, oh boy, I'm, I'm having a little anxiety attack right now. Uh, the brain is such a delightful, <laughs> right. wonderful thing. Um. Perfect timing. <laughs> and uh, that's just really been my experience. I know what helps me, um, I found, is finding things that are unshakable, I guess, or like comfortable. So during my, my first one on campus, um, and I guess really only my second big one I've ever had since this has been more recent for me, um, at least my cognizance about it. I sat with a friend, um, and I just told her stories that I've gone through, that I've lived through. Like, I I had a... I still do have the blog, but before this blog, I had it on a different website, (laughs) and I had published stories there that are not making it to this one, um, because they're just not... (laughs) They're just not not time and the place. (laughs) No, yeah. Um, But I was reading one, and it actually happened to me, and um, it was a story she had never heard. Uh, I'm a big storyteller. Yeah. Uh, One of my longest stories I've ever told to a group took three hours, 
Um, mm-hmm. And it could have taken about five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. But I, I love telling stories. I love giving the details because to me, a story, like much like a movie, should paint a picture in your brain. Yeah. Um, it should make you think about things. It should make you introspective. Um, and it should ultimately change the way you see the world a little bit. And so I, I love telling long stories. So I did that. Um, and it was very calming to me. I moved around while doing it, but then I noticed the more I got into the story, the more still I began, and I eventually finished it by sitting down. Yeah. Um, so what what has your experience been with like anxiety and like what do you do to kind of get through it? I guess. Um, anxiety's been always kind of interesting, at least in the last few years, in the sense that the things that normally would like I would expect to give me like anxiety, you know, things like finances, the future. Yeah. Um, you know, the the lack of luck I have had <laughs> with getting any sort of girlfriend. Things like that that I would think would make me sad and anxious. Just by and large haven't. Like yeah. sometimes they're worrisome. Sometimes I give them a lot of thought. Right. But the things that would be most logical to be anxious about, um, just generally by and large to start school, things like that, just by and large just mm-hmm. don't they're not really super giant concerns of mine yeah. in that aspect. Um, I've largely dealt with it in regards to social anxiety, mm-hmm. in regards to to people. And that's always been kind of an awkward thing because um, if you don't know me, I'm a bit of an extrovert, a little bit maybe, um, <laughs> to put it politely. Right. And um, it's always so antithetical to everything I like to do and everything I want to be. Um, and um, getting over it um, is an interesting <laughs> is an interesting thing. It, it really it, it takes work and it takes time. Um, to really become, you know, okay with it and at peace with it. And um, that's another very complex story for another day, my own personal journey with that. Um, regards to smaller things that I do when I'm feeling anxious, um, uh, I enjoy feeding ducks. Mm. I, it's a kind of a weird one, but I genuinely do. Uh, it relaxes me, I think, because it's such a, you know, I'm able to see these creatures made so happy by this simple little thing. Uh, mm-hmm. By feeding them whatever I don't even know what it is. It's just it, it's labeled duck feed in the shop I go to, and it's a dollar, and I get yeah. it. Um, uh, I enjoy listening to comedy of really mm-hmm. any kind, um, especially when it's a combination with something I love, like a historical, like a like YouTube channels oversimplified um, and things like that. Things mm-hmm. that are like have factual information, but are presented in an extremely funny manner. Um, and going on long walks, getting fresh air, um, working out especially when it's like boxing workouts or something like that, something to let out that stress and aggression that might build up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, all things, I think, are very useful. Uh, might be very useful to any of you listening, might not be. You know, it, it What helps people with anxiety is different for every person. There's yeah. going to be overlappings, but not every... There's no one-size-fits-all shirt that's going to make everything better. Right. Um, it's going to make, you know, that's going to be, you know, my... My methods of coping uh, might not be the same as yours. Mm-hmm. They might be, you know, completely. You might all the things I listed might fill you with even more anxiety. Maybe right, you hate yeah. me. You have a bad experience with ducks. Feed or, the ducks. You know, maybe. Who are you a, a psychopath? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and um, it really just all depends. You have to, and that's another thing that it takes time and it takes trying um, yes. things, you know, you might assume certain things might be like, oh yeah, this will lift me out of my anxiety, and then it just absolutely doesn't whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to suck. <laughs> because, you know, you're going to have those expectations, and they're just going to fall completely flat, and it'll, it'll be sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll figure them out, you know. You'll figure them out in time, and it just might take a hot second. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, for me, I, I've noticed 
part of my anxiety um, is helped when I sort of establish, uh, because I, I'd say part of the problem with my anxiety is a lack of me feeling like me. Um, so me establishing who I am in those moments is very helpful for me. Um, and I, I actually, one of the most recent blogs I posted on the website was about uh, the struggle of me knowing who I am. Because I think you agree, there's so many different versions of who we are. Yeah. So many contradictions within ourselves. Like, I like this kind of weather, but I also love this weather. And, and I love doing this, but I hate doing that. But I also love doing that. Yeah. And, and there's so many things that are situational. Um, but even today, I was walking uh, with some friends from class once it ended. And I was still, not as bad as at the beginning, but I was still feeling anxious. And um, they could tell. And they are like, hey, what, what's going on? And I kind of explained it to them. And part of the getting out of that fog, for me, was in telling a joke. Because I love making people laugh. Yeah. It's, um, I love to laugh, but I'd say even more so I do love seeing other people just die of laughter. That's why I keep <laughs> you around. Um, and so it, it, it's great because when I started telling jokes, whether they were actually funny or not, even if they just giggled like a little bit, yeah. um, I eventually got to one where they laughed like a lot. Um, and that made my day. Just because it kind of reminded me, like, no matter how I'm feeling, people don't view me that yeah. way necessarily. Or people can tell, but it doesn't mean that I'm still not me. Um, I was able to make them laugh. I was able to talk about things. They asked me, you know, for, like, an update in life. Um, and it just kind of showed me that, you know, it's fine. Um, and I'd say in regards to what even causes it, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Um, I agree with you that... It's never finances. It's never, oh, I'm going to die alone. Because I'm still young. Yeah. I have so much time. There's all these things where it's like, I could worry about them, but I just believe that they're too big to worry about. That exactly. if I were to, it would be a waste of my time. Because me saying, I don't have money, that's not going to fix anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and not to belittle people that do get anxious about that, because... I'm in a situation where although money is definitely an impact on my life, it's not as bad as it has been. Yeah. Um, I'm in college. I'm taking out loans. But I'm also not afraid about not getting a job once I graduate. Um, when I get there, maybe I'll be more anxious. <laughs> but for now, I'm riding the train. Yeah. I'm just I'm trying to enjoy my view, you know? But like you said, it's some of the little things. Um, little, I think one of the things that makes me the most anxious is my identity. Um, and discovering that. <laughs> I, and I can't exactly place it, but it's, it's the meta of who am I and who are the people around me and what am I doing here um, that gets to me sometimes. And so I just think it's, it's crazy. Um, I'll be sitting there, and I think the way I know it's anxiety isn't even just the physical, like my heart feels different even though it isn't. Um, and you can tell me if you relate to this at all. Uh, in some of my worst moments, I felt alone and surrounded at the same time. That's an um, interesting way to phrase it. I felt almost like, um, I, like today in class, there was like 30 other students there. Um, and I was in the back corner like I usually am. So I wasn't directly like surrounded by anyone. But I felt this feeling of everyone in that room could either hate me or not care about me. Um, which isn't true. I had friends yeah. in that class. <laughs> um, and, and I wasn't even... That's the thing about I feel anxiety for me is it do, it's not specific. I, don't, I wasn't sitting there going, this person hates me, this person hates me, this person likes me. It was the other um, and me feeling alone in that. 
um, but then surrounded by the aloneness, I Interesting. feel. Um, and that's a, sort of how it manifests in me as well as just this general sense of something might not be going wrong right now to me, but everything is wrong, and then I can't place what yeah. that is. Um, which is the hardest part for me because <laughs> I'll be having a perfect day and then out of nowhere I'm like, something's wrong. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but life is going to end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, and Every- those and those are just, it comes down to it where it's not true and you have to remind yourself it's not true. Um, but I think something you also hit on is just patience and waiting. Yeah. Sometimes, you, <laughs> sometimes there's literally nothing you can do but try your little tricks and they don't work and then you're like, I'll just sit here until it's done, I guess. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, uh, I should go do something that's fun and productive because my life doesn't suck, actually. What what do you think? No, yeah, I I agree with that. Yes, it can be. It's very much is something that can wear on my patience, for sure. When I just want it to be, you know, if I'm going through a a time of anxiety, it can just be irritating. Because logically, I think you touched on it, that you're there. Like, it, you know, you're able to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, you know, account for the lifestyle I actually live. Um, it's, but it's like emotionally, you're fa- you're, uh, your feelings don't care about your facts. Yeah. And, um, and it's not... Been <laughs> and that definitely stumps me a lot of the time because <laughs> I'm like, well... <laughs> yeah. That's about it for me. I don't really have too much else to, to say to you other than show you how you're objectively wrong. Right. Um, and it's so odd. It's like it's, it's like this big brick wall um, <laughs> mm. that you just run into. But you have like this jackhammer with you that you're trying to break the wall. Um, it's just like, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't yeah. deal with hammers. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and it can be a giant pain in the butt. Um, honestly, it can it can just be so annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a nuisance. You're just like, I have things to do exactly. today. Please stop. <laughs> it's like you're It's like you're split into two personalities, almost, of this is dumb. This doesn't make sense. I, this shouldn't be happening right now. Yeah. And then the other part of you is like, well, it is, so sit down yeah. and enjoy <laughs> for a while. And you're just, it, it really is the most frustrating thing. For me, it's just super frustrating because up until this point, though I I knew that, you know, I'd have bad days, um, it was more or less like, okay, I'm having a bad day, that's normal. Now I understand that, although anxiety is normal because people have it, that it's not something that should be okay, if that makes sense. Um, And so, and before I didn't necessarily have these anxiety attacks, it was more just like, I'm in a bad mood, or now it's like, a complete not mood switch but just like i can tell you know I, and i feel like a lot of anxiety no, is person sure. to person you can tell and there's not a good way to to verbalize it yeah um but that's frustrating for me because i'm a person um that likes to do their best in school do their best in whatever they're doing to control the situation um try and kind of be like a leader uh and this is something i have no control yeah over. there there's no way i can say well this is what's going to happen because anxiety is almost the exact opposite of that. It is the, it is the absence of control. I don't want to say, um, and it's the dumbest thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know what. What do you think the future looks like for anxiety um, in, in regards to yourself? How culture treats it? Because I feel like we've gotten way more open about Culturally, it. Culturally, yeah, I think we're on a good path for sure. Where it's not as quite a thing to be kept in the dark 
anymore. And that's good. I think that that's really good because, you know, it's something that so many, so many of us all feel. Mm-hmm. And it's, not, it's something to be concerned about but not to be, like, ashamed of. Yeah. Uh, it's something you should, you know, work on and try to keep in check but not, like, beat yourself up about it if you're not successful at that right away. Yeah. Um, or even in the long term. You know, you shouldn't beat yourself up about it regardless. You know, everybody's good at some things. Some people are bad at some things. And it's okay if you're not good at being able to fight it. That's not something that... You need to be like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. We're all a failure in some regard. That's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong, you know, inherently wrong with failing. You know, if you haven't tried and haven't done anything, you know, I want for your own sake, I want people to work on themselves like that. Because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not a good place to be. Um, no, I think that society's doing pretty good in regards to that. In regards to how I'm personally handling it, <laughs> that's another longer, <laughs> right. no, much longer story from my, uh, another day. Um, but, um, good to summarize, (laughs) (laughs) to summarize the very complex (laughs) story. Would you think it'll get easier or harder? Oh, easier for sure. Absolutely. 100%. You know, an image shown over and over again to, to a mind will eventually lose its ability to shock. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. That's good. Eventually it just, you know, it wears off after a while. Like it won't, it'll wear off in the sense that. It just won't be as impactful anymore. You it'll don't all, think? Yeah, it'll still be there. It'll just be like, yep, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> Same <think> thing. Um, <laughs> I sort of agree with you. I think, in the sense that, um, let me be clear, that's just my personal experience. Right. I think it will be. I I think of it almost like pain level, right? It it will be the same pain level most likely for the rest of my, uh, my life. But I I think my perspective on it and my shock to it or perhaps my annoyance with it will decrease. Yeah. Um, you know, after, kind of, kind of like what you just said, you know, after like years of dealing with something, you're like, this sucks, but it's like, well, okay, <laughs> I, I, you've dealt with it, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, I, and I'd say it'll, at certain times in my life, it could be worse. Um, I, I personally am I'm anxious <laughs> about <Yeah. laughs> the fact that one day, I might find myself being in a situation where I'm a husband, a father, and a teacher, um, and I'm emotionally taking care of people 24-7, um, because I know that sometimes I don't limit myself on how much I take care of other people yeah. uh, and disregard my self-care, which is something to be worked on, of course. Yeah. Uh, you should always take care of yourself. You can't take care of others if you're burning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, that's something that I worry about. But, again, it's not one of the things that currently I think about the future and go, yeah. oh, I can't deal with it, you know? <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm, I'm almost excited yeah. for everything to come. Um, in fact, just the other day, I was talking to somebody, and like, how are you? And I was, I was kind of just having one of those days where you're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm fine. But I was really excited, and I was like, I'm great. And they're like, oh, well, why? And I was like, I'm just excited <laughs> to, like, live. You know? That's good. I'm just that's, like, <laughs> that's a good feeling to I'm have. I'm excited uh, to like be alive and see the future. And so, uh, yeah, that's just where I'm at. Yeah. And that's good. That's good. That's a good place to be. <laughs> um, so I guess that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> I guess that's where this probably is ending for today. I had a lot of fun. I did. about this movies great. and politics <laughs> and life and even anxiety. It can be... A, a, a weird thing to talk about, but I think it's it's good to talk about um, and hear other perspectives. But this, in conclusion, 
was the Just Rambling with John Robinson podcast. I'm here with Nathaniel Tapia. Tapia. Oh. Right. <laughs> uh, we'll cut that out. Uh, I'm no, here with care. Nathaniel Tapia. <laughs> Would you like to say anything in closing? Um, leave any last remarks? Yes, yes. Jesus loves you. Remember to talk to strangers and don't eat any lead. It's always bad for you. Not always. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe with a little mustard, but most of the time it's bad <laughs> for you. Mustard's disgusting. I mean, but it helps counteract the lead. How? Don't question me. <laughs> All right, vote Nathaniel for president. <laughs> what, what is it? 15 years from now? You um, can start running? 15, 20? Um, I'm gonna be th- it'll be, I need to be 35, so about 15 more years. Vote for Nathaniel in 15 years. Yeah, boy! It'll be great. I'll be um, very excited. When you're sick of whoever the current president is 15 years from now, remember Nathaniel, and uh, he will be there for you. So thanks for <laughs> listening, and uh, I'll catch great. you on the next podcast. Bye-bye.